Hey everybody, it's Ron from the Nerd Life Crisis Podcast Network, here to talk to you today about SpinWiz Comics. SpinWizComics.com is an indie comics discovery platform. It's designed to help comic book readers find new content, with over 60 publishers and over 400 different comic titles to choose from, and growing every week. Most of the content right now is free to read, but there are options available to purchase PDFs and support creators you read the most. And right now, as part of the promotion, IB Comics is offering the first four issues of Grace, free to read. And for all you music fans out there, the first 28 pages of Legba's Juke Joint, Volume 1. You can read all of these for free at spinwizcomics.com. So if you're a content creator out there, check it out. It's a no-hassle platform whose core goal is to help with awareness, to essentially take your comic book and put it out there for new readers. It's as easy as uploading a couple of PDFs, toss them into a Dropbox or Google, and within a day, your stuff will be online and available for purchase or for new readers to check out. SpinWizComics.com. Check it out today. Have you ever walked by a person on the street and wondered, what's their deal? Or, or been curious about what it's like to be a policeman, or a musician, or, or even just young? Well, welcome to My Life App, a podcast that delves into the comedic lives and experience of normal people. and says, hey, tell me about your life. All right, everybody, and welcome back again here to My Life As, here with our second episode of this uh, fine new podcast. I hope you guys are all enjoying it. I'm here today with a friend of mine. Um, I, I don't know that I will introduce her too much, but uh, I've known Aretta for a few years. She's a really interesting person, and uh, we're going to talk today uh, to, uh, and I, what, Aretta, what is your last name? Baumgartner. That's right. I always, I always want to say Baumgartner, but that's the pitcher from the San Francisco Giants. No, I'll take it because, right, I'm sure that person has much more of an income than I do as what my life really is as. And what is it that you do, Aretta? This is about my life as a dot, dot, dot puppeteer. So you are a puppeteer, like a real life puppeteer. That is what I do for a living, sir. It is true. So, so like what, so let's talk. So how, how did this all start for you? How did you get into puppetry? It was an accident. An accident? Yeah. Like you accidentally so, stuck your hand in the uh, puppet's butt and one day was, you were just man. like, look at this. It's, it's, what is happening? What is this it's Kermit piece of the Frog. fur, felt, or fuzz on my hand? So tell me about that journey. How does it start out Yeah, for so um, I was a theater major in undergrad and thought, man, theater's awesome. I want to be a professional actor. And so right out of undergrad, which was Ashland University, North Central Ohio, I took an internship at a great theater company in Cincinnati. And... It was fabulous, right? I'm, I'm interning at this regional theater. I am thinking I'm fancy. I am an actor with a capital A, right? And then I Doing decide... Doing some serious stuff, like oh, some Brecht. Right, you know, Edward Albee that like season. Some mime stuff, you know. Yeah, like mime. Really, you know, you're like you're trapped in a box. You know, I lock, a, but I'm hey, like. <laughs> it was a big box. Oh, there you go. It was there a big box. Uh, and then I'm going to graduate school in the fall, and I had three months right to fill. And I went to one of those Cataclaw auditions and did my two minutes. And of the theaters that called me back, one was a puppet theater based in Cincinnati. And I gotta say, it was more out of convenience and passion that I decided to accept this puppet gig because it happened to be in the city. Did it pay? Oh yeah. Well, that's good. That's it at paid, least and I was going to grad school, right? And I had to finish an internship. And any of us that have done those in theater know that, well, interning in theater is not necessarily lucrative. Um, it was worth it, but not lucrative. So I did puppetry out of practicality. 
So, and I was embarrassed to say I was doing it, truth be told, that so I was doing... You, was it not like a dream for you, like as a kid? Were you not like a big Sesame Street fan? Not like, at all. I love Big Bird, and this is what drew me to this? Nope, not at all. Really? I, I grew up in a town of 1,200 people in central Ohio. If the wind blew the right way, we might have gotten PBS. But other than that, I had no <laughs> frame of reference for Sesame Street even. Really? Absolutely. I'd heard of it. I knew it was going on. I think I saw a Muppet movie. Oh, yeah. I knew the Muppets, but it was not a passion. And certainly because I was not a theater major going into college, it didn't occur to me that it was at all a performing arts gig. Really? So nothing at all. Interesting. Nope, nope, nope. So for you, it's like uh, it was just sort of something that you like fell into. I fell into. Really? Yep. That, I, I find that interesting because, like, uh, if you guys ever see Aretta work, like, she does amazing puppetry, like, to the point where, like, uh, my son was able to uh, goof off with her a little bit. And um, watching her play with the puppets, it's, it's like an extension of yourself, you know? So you go to Cincinnati. Uh, and you're obviously you're in is it a graduate program or an undergraduate program? the uh, puppet gig was for madcap productions puppet theater oh, so it was like, yeah it was like an a, actual theater a theater, theater. Oh, a theater. Okay. and okay. at the time one of the largest touring puppet theaters in the country they still exist and they're amazing but at the time it really filled a niche um, as one of the largest touring puppet theaters in the country and um, and I was horrible at it <laughs> Like, so was... my life as a horrible puppeteer is chapter one. This is chapter two, where I'm somehow figuring out how to make a living at it. Um, I was a musical theater person, and I was fighting with the puppet the entire time. It really? was not giving myself into the puppet. So who it was, was your first puppet? Did you, did you have a name? Was it a boy or a oh, girl? Oh, hello, or... Biscuit the Dog. Okay. Come on, I was doing Serious Theater Man. So and shall I, about, shall I? Tell me about Biscuit. Yeah. <clears throat> so right now I will go ahead and do Biscuit to the Dog. This is the first puppet voice I ever did. <laughs> right? Are you enjoying that, everyone? I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, right, right, so right. What's, so what's your, what's your current favorite puppet that you do? Ooh, I have my uh, kind of go-to, which is a green, fuzzy character and I just call him George so he is a hand and mouth rod puppet a Muppet style puppet yeah and he has just sort of kind of become the puppet that I really feel comfortable doing yeah and his name is George and he's really kind of playful and sweet and silly and it's really my home character my go-to character and I think because a puppet um, and I tell this to my students all the time and then I forget to listen to myself Puppetry allows me to find focus and stillness because as a human, I have neither of those things. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so you get this job. You're terrible at it. Horrible. So why do you not quit? Like, I, my first job, I was, uh, uh, I worked as a Mason's tender. So I, I don't I, know what that is. I Your life as a, a Mason. Like, I was <gasps> going to uh, build walls. Like, that's the, my first oh. job out of high school. So I did that for about six months and just discovered I was terrible at it. Like, this was not for me. Like, it was fun, I, to a point as fun as throwing br bricks on top of each other can be, but it was just not my calling. But did it challenge you enough to want to do it more? Oh, God, no, no. Okay, because that's the difference then, right? Sure, sure. Because for this particular thing, I knew that I wanted to do it better and do it more, even though I was horrible, and my pride so and ego was, were hurt. So what was your worst thing that happened to you that first year that made you feel so terrible? That I couldn't get the other puppeteers on stage to look at the puppet they were looking at me oh really? and that is a puppeteer is a big it's an epic puppet fail right if you are and this was a situation where my puppet is literally coming from behind a playboard right so i'm behind the playboard i have an actress who is the human in the scene playing sure. opposite me and the actress because i wasn't transferring my energy to the puppet appropriately right i was still 
Like so what do you were, mean by that? Like, uh, so if I'm puppeteering, sure, sure. the idea is I look at my puppet and every intention, every bit of energy, focus, passion, story goes through me to the puppet. It's not a duo scene. It's not me and the puppet. It is about the puppet and I should disappear because the best compliment I can get as a puppeteer is, were you in the show? Like that is the best compliment I can get is to be ignored, right? I got that a lot as an actor. And because, actor. oh like good, yes, was, perfect. Not, not in the well, maybe you should way, consider so. puppetry, sir. Uh, well, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've considered a lot of things, which is why I now have a <laughs> podcast that uh, talks to other people about how successful they are. So. And you're no longer building walls, you're breaking them down. Exactly. Well done, sir. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. Uh, but I could not get the actress to look at the puppet, but she was looking at me because I was fighting so hard to pull attention. Right. Because that's what you do, I think, as an actor, especially as a musical theater actor. You, you claim your spot. You take the stage. You tell your story. It's look at me. And in puppetry, you do the opposite. You are the funnel through which the story is told, but you are not the story. Interesting. And Interesting. so there I was, right, hiding behind a set piece, but still not transferring energy to the puppet, not throwing my story to the puppet, not throwing my focus to the puppet. So she couldn't take her eyes off of me. And then when it came time for the kids to believe in the puppet, they didn't because she didn't. Mm. Right. And that is an epic fail at the end of the show where they didn't care that my poor, sweet character was removed from the human that the dog was supposed to be the best friend of. Right. right, right. There was no empathy. It was, well, who cares if the dog is gone? We didn't even know the dog existed. Right. So that is that moment. And kids can be so brutally honest. Oh, God, they're the worst. They're the worst and the best. Right. And the question <laughs> answer, you know, when um, they you can tell when children care about what you've done. Absolutely. By what they ask in the Q&A and if they pay attention and if they reacted to your story. They never asked any questions about anything I did on stage. And that was a big eye-opener. If you have third graders that don't even care you exist and you think you want to be a serious actor, that's an ego thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it was the best gift they could have given me. And thank goodness my boss at the Puppet Theater, Jerry Handorf, um, he's uh, not with us anymore, but he is truly the person that changed my life more than anyone. He saw that I could be good at it. He saw that I could care about it. And he said, get done with grad school and come back to me. So what was the, so you're, you're with this company in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. What's the turning point? Like, what's the moment where like this abject failure turns into something more interesting for you? Like, is it with this company or like, did you move it's, on? Or? It's with the company because I, I will say that, um, I tend to get bored pretty easily with stuff. Sure. I love to master things and not master. There's no such thing as really mastering. We should all be students as teachers and I'm a teacher as well. So there are these moments that you just think, okay, check that box. I'm done. I was not done with puppetry. It okay. challenged me. I was horrible at it. I wanted to do more, but I only had three months at it. I knew that when I left that puppet theater to go to grad school, I, I, I wasn't done. The moment that I walked out of that studio, the moment I said goodbye, but I didn't close the door forever, was new to me. Mm -hmm. And theater is about short-term gigs. It's one job to another. It's one cast to another. It's one, you know, experience to another. You kind of say, hey, that was great. Thank you. I'll see you the next show. In this case, I wasn't done. Interesting. And so I stood there outside of that door in that studio wanting to go back in, but I couldn't. I was done. I sat in the car wanting to drive away, but, but, but I didn't 
drive away, right? I knew I wasn't done with a thing and I had never as a theater maker looked at things more than short term in my life. And there you go. And I said, I want to go back and do this thing. So you go to graduate school, mm-hmm. obviously not for puppetry. No. You're going for something Communication else. arts, dramatic interpretation and debate. Sure. Okay. So as you, one does, as right? Course, yes, of know. course. Yes. With all those jobs. Absolutely. Arts and dramatic debates, you know. So um, so you get done with that and then suddenly you, you've got a master's degree um, and you go back to puppetry. Absolutely. And they all thought, you are a fool. Um, one of the gigs that one can get with my master's degree is to go to do corporate consulting. Okay. Yeah, that would be a paycheck. Good money, right? That's like, a paycheck. Yeah, for sure. And then I said, no, thank you. And I went back to that touring puppet theater. And really? it absolutely and it and it and it um, and it is who I am. It's not what I do. It's who I am. The fact that I spent some time thinking, I think I'm going to make a choice for my life that is not necessarily about success with a capital S in terms of how society thinks that success is defined. But I'm going to do success for me. And that was a big deal. Right. For me, because, again, I I'm my family is very supportive but they are a practical family who definitely taught me to think about those things, paying bills and having a job and, and making sure to take care of myself. I was doing the opposite of that, right? <laughs> By going, quote unquote, backwards. And man, I went back and I loved it. And I off and on was with the company for 10 years oh, wow. after that. Okay. And what's beautiful, as the company grew, I found myself having opportunities that I never would have thought that I would have. Like such as? Such as being a teacher. Okay. Right. I had never done any sort of teaching or education at all. And in this puppet theater company, we would do those question and answers, as I mentioned earlier, after the show. Right. And uh, I found that I loved that almost as much as the show that I could not wait to talk to the kids. Right. I, I have a similar experience. I uh, we did a tour and I got the opportunity to do like perform for deaf children. Um, and we did a comedia show and we get done performing and it's like the kids are enthralled, you know, and then on top of it, you have an interpreter that the kid is asking a question through an interpreter and they can't understand a word you say, but because of the physicality of the performance, like it grabs them so much. And it was something about that moment that like changed my life, you know, and I was young. I was maybe like 21, 22 when that happened. But I knew at that moment that I was like, this is something, this is special, like what we're doing. You and know? even if you didn't know the applications of it yet, you knew this is a special moment, sure, right? Sure, sure. And that surprised me as someone who, again, thought that I was going to be a performer and, you know, be on stage. I couldn't wait for the show to be done, oh, yeah. which is weird, right? I couldn't wait for the show to be done because I could not wait to talk to the kids. Interesting. And then when I started to realize that, that I was the one that wanted to, quote unquote, lead the question answer. Huh. That's a thing. Then the puppet theater company had opportunities to do workshops and I didn't know how to do one, but I know I wanted to interact with those kids. So I volunteered to be a workshop leader and I taught myself how to teach. Then the company decided they would do week-long residencies. Mm. And I didn't know how to do it, but I taught myself how to teach. And now I'm education director at the Center for Puppetry Arts. What I do is teach. 
And where are you located out? In Atlanta, Georgia. Interesting. So yeah. you're like, it's like a whole museum or what's the deal as far as that? Yeah. And then some, man. Yeah. So the Center for Puppetry Arts, we are the largest nonprofit organization devoted to puppetry in the United States. One of the largest in the world. We have two theaters. We have three museum exhibits. We have an, a robust education program that I'm really fortunate to curate. We have a research library and archives. We have a film series. We have so much stuff. Okay. And um, for someone who didn't want to do puppetry and someone didn't who didn't know they were an educator, to find myself as an educator at a puppet center is kind of mind-blowing. Every now and then I think, what am I doing? Oh, I'm doing the thing I was meant to do. It's pretty amazing. So and it's because you say yes and you try things and you fail and you do things that you think you're not supposed to do. And then you find yourself where you're supposed to be. It's a really bizarre thing and an awesome thing. So as far as like your journey goes, mm -hmm. so I mean, we went through that very quickly to get you to the end. Yeah. So let's go back to uh, you, you're out of college mm -hmm. and you come back to this, this puppetry group in Cincinnati. Um, so uh, tell me about that experience. Like what, what, what starts to occur? Like, I mean, most of our audience, I'm sure they, they have no idea what the life of a puppeteer is, yeah. you know, including myself. Mm -hmm. So is it like you're doing shows every day? Is there like, I mean, are you getting like calls to come in and do Sesame Street? Are you getting calls to come in and do like the local news needs a puppet? I mean, tell me, like, I don't know what that world entails. So tell me about that. It's so bizarre that you don't know because you do. You've just said the things that happen. So oh, intuitively okay. <laughs> you are correct. With this particular theater, it is a touring company and you take a tour for a year year you have the same show for a year and you perform it 300 ish times during that year so you you're doing like it two times a, a day yeah, absolutely yeah. you're doing a monday through friday you're touring through the uh, midwest at the time we were doing a 22 states i think as our touring range so you get up on um, a monday morning early early you get in the van with your two tour mates and you take your show on the road and you'll go like I've yeah done so you're on the road uh, with all of you guys in this van and you're 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 at the beginning of all this right so what's the craziest thing that happens to you while you're on the road you're not gonna believe it if I tell you I I, I mean probably not <laughs> but at this point like I know nothing about being a puppet okay. oh so okay so crazy voices right as a puppeteer crazy voices are a thing and you need to during sound check because of our wireless lavalier mics, you really do need to try every crazy voice because within your cast, there are 12 or 14 or so and you can't max out the microphones, right? So sound checks for a puppeteer, a touring children's puppet company are a thing. We are in the middle of Indiana and it's a church situation. We are performing in the church basement upstairs. I am serious. There's a funeral. <laughs> this is true. So my two tour mates, Michael, Salil, if you're out there, you will verify this, right? So we are downstairs doing mic check. And the voice that my tour mate Michael does for one of the characters, right? This wizard character is not unlike a Darth Vader voice. He is saying, so there is another dear sister. Come to the dark side as his voice our microphone frequencies, because back in the day, you did not really, you know, these frequencies, right? They overlapped with yeah, each other. Like on They're on B, whatever. Yeah. yeah, you know the stuff. Absolutely. The priest upstairs, I am not kidding you, 
is raising his hands over the corpse. This is true. And he's raising his hands and over the PA, we hear, come to the dark side. I am not kidding. And we have this nun flying into the basement with her habit, flipping in the breeze as she is running in saying, stop, stop, because it has crossed. And my dear tour mate, Michael, doing a creepy Darth Vader impression has come across the funeral. And they are thinking that Satan is now in the chapel, y'all. And I am so surprised we weren't kicked out. But it is one of my favorite things because it is truly the most organic. We think we're in a world away doing our thing. We we totally did. And little Kokomo, Indiana will never be the same. I think they really thought that, you know, the devil had done come to right. Imagine you're like poor Gladys and you're there to bury, you know, Herbert and he's laying in the coffin and all of a sudden the priest raises his hands and you're like... Come to the dark side. Come to the dark side. Come to the dark side. And this nun is... baby Jesus. She literally comes flying in the back of the the cafeteria where we're performing downstairs, the bingo hall cafeteria, with her her habit flapping in the breeze. did you have an audience while you were doing this? No, no, this was our sound check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't think we were... Come on, what? And it crossed signals upstairs. That's fantastic. And they really thought that the devil had come to visit (laughs) that funeral and the... The little tiny puppet theater from Cincinnati, Ohio, just about brought the devil to the town. Well, congrats. Congrats yeah, for ruining absolutely. some folks. Yeah. Yay! You never get bored because you're literally trying to imitate life. Mm-hmm. How hard is that, right? It is so inspiring and amazing that you can isolate tiny moments of breath, right? With a certain character that you think, okay, at this point in time, my puppet is standing still. But how do I keep it breathing? How do I keep its blood flowing? How do I make sure it's got inner thought? You're literally thinking these things in a cafetorianasium, gymnatorium, whatever, <laughs> slipping on peas from the kids' lunch, sure, right? Sure. But you're really able to stay engaged because you're trying to imitate life. So this is your life Monday through Friday, right? And on the weekend, if you're me, you're thinking, puppetry's cool. I know nothing about it. So you're doing things like joining organizations like the Puppeteers of America, which I'm fortunate enough right now to serve as president of. It's the national membership organization for puppeteers. And I'm, uh, it's my third year serving on a tour term, but I'm, uh, was fortunate enough to be elected president. So now I'm, you know, doing this incredible work uh, serving a larger community of puppeteers, right? So I joined the P of A, as we call it, Puppeteers of America. And I'm getting a thing called the Puppetry Journal. And I'm learning that this is a thing that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. uh, Yes, the Puppetry Journal is a a professional journal devoted to puppetry. But I'm learning that puppetry is a thing. Who knew, right? I lucked into this. And it turns out for thousands of years, cultures have been expressing themselves through puppetry, right? Even before we had written and spoken language as human beings, we used objects to communicate. Cave paintings show us this. Y'all, we are as humans hardwired to tell stories through puppets, definitely through objects, through, right? from Atlanta, by the way. You oh, I just said y'all. Oh, wait, my, no, my northern roots. My northern roots. Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm a northerner and I just did a southern thing. Um, y'all. I said <laughs> y'all. Uh, but, but I'm learning this, right? That puppetry is an international language. It's an ancient language. And I am in it. I am so enthralled knowing that this thing that I bumped into is so rich and so deep 
and I am in. So I am joining the Puppeteers of America. I'm joining the International Puppeteer Union called Uni UNIMA, which is the Union Internationale de la Marionette. The USA branch is in, this will make sense in a minute. The USA branch is in Atlanta, Georgia at the Center for Puppetry Arts. So when I enroll in this as a new puppeteer, I'm getting a publication called um, the Puppetry International, different from the Puppetry Journal, because there are two organizations. I'm getting this and reading the return address as 1404 Spring Street, Northwest Atlanta, Georgia, which is now where I get to go to work every day. Oh, how right. So again, yeah. right. Anyway, I'm reading all this stuff and knowing that there's this bigger world, and any new puppeteer, I think, will think, "Huh, the Muppets are a thing. I wonder what that would be like." Right. So back in the day years ago, right, um, 15 years ago, almost 20 now, because I'm getting old, um, the Muppets, you just would do a tape in your living room, a videotape in your living room, and send it in. And that's, that's what happened so for you, submissions. So you did a tape of you, were you playing with George or one of your other I characters? was, well, George didn't exist yet. Okay. He was but a, not even a twinkle in my eye. But I gathered a bunch of puppets that I was doing, characters that I was doing at Mad Cat Puppets. I'm with, curious. So with we'll, my boss's permission, by the way, because my boss, Jerry Handorf, had been a puppet builder okay. at Henson Workshop. Oh, interesting. And I will say that he kind of said he had seen lots and lots of amazing actors come through Mad Cat because what he said, which I still agree to this day, as a puppet director too, it is much easier to teach an actor to be a puppeteer than it is to teach a puppeteer to be an actor. Uh, so he had seen lots of actors why, come why by. Why do you think that is? Um, actors at least understand that it's about story and performance. Sure. Right? Puppeteers who mostly come from a visual artist background, I'm certainly generalizing now, but a lot of puppeteers are visual artists who've created a thing and they want to see how the thing can come to life. So as a visual artist, they want to move the thing. But they may not be storytellers innately in a performative sense. Right. And right? especially like with a puppet, you're working with an audience. It's a, it's a give and take between you, the artist, and the, the, the audience that's like literally watching you, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. And so you've got to be able to tell that story to Captivate or you're just basically up there playing with some felt, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah. It's a bunch of, as, as I, I usually say, it's a bunch of fur, feather, fabric, and foam flopping around, right? Right. That's what you do um, unless you focus on story. And a lot of great visual artists, puppeteers, create their artifact, and they just don't want to let it go, or they want to see where it can go. But they're not innately performers, right? So it's a little bit harder to teach them to be storytellers. Whereas as actors, they're innate storytellers. All you need to do is to get them to focus. Right, right. Easier said than done. But anyway, so my boss Jerry had seen a lot of great actors come through Madcap, but he hadn't seen tons at that point in time who seemed to really grab onto the puppetry. So the handful of us that came through that grabbed onto it he was always extremely supportive and saying, in saying, I think you got a thing. So Let me give you an opportunity, right? So he gave me the opportunity to teach. He gave me the opportunity to lead residencies. He also said, yeah, I'd go ahead and send a tape. I'll help you film this tape and send it to the Muppets. So this is long enough ago. Like, are you doing this on like a VHS or like a handy cam or something it's like that? It's a handy cam. Okay. How'd you know? Absolutely. So <laughs> well, I, 20 years ago, yep. I mean, I, it's like, you're like pre-internet almost yeah. at that point, right? Yeah. I set that camera up, man, in the living room. And all you did at the time is, um, 
stand in front of the, the VHS and introduce yourself as a human first. And you said, hey, my name is Aretta. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm going to introduce you to a couple puppet characters. So I'm curious, yeah. so, because I, I, I would like to hear more mm -hmm. about your repertoire. Yes, yes, yes. So what characters did you, did you have like a repertoire that you used specifically at this point in time? Yes, I think at the time I was touring with a show called Renaissance Rumpelstiltskin, and it was a, yes, right, very of fancy. Of course you were, right? Of course I was. <laughs> and it was the first musical Madcap had done because they knew I was a musical person, which I'm very honored and thrilled that they said, let's give you an extra challenge, do a musical. So I am certain that I did pretty much every character in that show. Again, with Jerry's permission, he was amazing because I was literally sharing his work and that was very brave of him, right? For me to do his work sort of, because these were his characters, his script, his songs, but I did my versions of them. So I'm certain, I'm certain that I did Biscuit the Dog, who you met earlier, right? Remember me? Hello, of course. And then I had this duet that I did with one on my right hand called Vavasar, who was one of the king's advisors. And then I had another king's advisor on my left hand to do. Absolutely, I did. And let me think. I did, I did six in the show. Who did I do? Um... Oh, I did a giant ogre on stilts. And he was a great big ogre character like this. So I remember doing a bunch of those, my human voice and a bunch of puppet characters. And then I do remember singing um, a song from the show. The value I seek is not measured in gold, not easily shot. As Rumpelstiltskin too, I did that song. And then I just you know, sent off a very weird VHS with these awkward moments of blank as I went to go get a new puppet. I just sent like it off. You didn't edit it at all? You no, just, like, I didn't edit set it. Set the camera and away you went. And right? away I went. And so I didn't know better. And the on the other end is like, what is wrong with What this is woman? happening, right? Well, but, you know, at Let the time. Let us not put her in charge of directing anything. Yes, yes perhaps she's on the other side of the camera. Um, but I cannot believe it. I got a letter that is framed it's in my office to this day. I got a handwritten note from Frank Oz. Fantastic. So that, what, is this, what does this video lead to? That was an awkward amount of time later to get the card too. So I thought, well, what have I done? Oh, well, I tried, right? And I went back on the tour with Madcap. And then I find myself getting this postcard about six months later. And it was 2005, I think. I got the postcard. And it literally said Henson Studios on the top, a double-sided note card, in hand in writing and I remember reading the first and said hi there we got your video thank you so much for taking the time to submit it's clear that you have incredible range and that you have a lot of passion and energy please call my assistant and I flip it over and the assistant's name I won't say it because in case the assistant is still there and the assistant could get bombarded you know call my assistant and such and such and 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 we will set up an audition for you in person sincerely Frank Oz. So Yoda reaches out to you. Yeah, as one does apparently. And I'm staring at this card thinking, are you kidding me? This job I didn't even want. This thing that I didn't even know that I would even be remotely good at has become a thing. It's a thing. And sure enough, I just call that 212 number in New York and I call Frank Oz's assistant. And she said, well, yeah, you've been invited to the LA auditions. Okay. And okay. So tell me more. And so what they LA, have done right? at that point in time, they did, and it's different now, of course, this was back in the day. Um, they did New York, LA and London auditions. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They would invite around 200 people 
to those auditions and they'd pick 20 to train at each particular site. So they'd have about 60 puppeteers a year that could be called upon for the next Muppet or Henson project, right? So I fly out to LA to do the thing thinking, what the heck, I gotta try, right? And I'm incredibly excited and surprised to find out that I've been narrowed down and selected for that Muppet training experience. So you're working with the Jim Henson company mm -hmm. and you're trying to like, uh, you know, you're trying to stand out in a crowd of 60 people. So 20, we had made sorry, it down 20. to 20. Sorry, yes. Were, Give those 40 people out of the way. Cause I worked hard to get those. Three, right. But there was three groups of 20, right? Uh, 20 in London, 20 in oh, LA, 20 in New York. Yes. Yeah, so, there? so yeah, absolutely. So oh, our wow. training class so in this LA, it's like American idols, but for puppets. Oh no, America. man, it is brutal, dude. Oh wow. Yeah. We had gone from in LA. So to even be invited, right. You had to be in like a 200 and then you do round and round and round. And then they take the 200 down to 20. So 20-ish, oh, I have my... In my mind, I see like a little puppet Randy Jackson come up and he's like, you know, I'm just not feeling this dog. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, man. You got to get out of here. No, I'm sorry. Not working for you. Paula. It's like, I love it so much. You are so good. And yeah, yeah. And that's not unlike what happened, really? right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh that's fantastic. So, so you're going through this. You're trying to make your way. And obviously, this is what you want to do because it's what you're still doing now. Absolutely. So, so what do you do during this situation where suddenly you realize you're like, I'm not as maybe technically talented as these other people? Like, how do I stand out in the crowd? Like, how do I make that cut to 20? And then on top of that, how do I continue working to continue to get more work with these people in the aftermath of all this? So what was it that you did to try to make that happen? Be a good person. Okay. That is what makes the difference, right? So rather than in the room, be angry that I wasn't doing as well as everyone else, rather than be frustrated with myself for just not being better, <laughs> laugh at myself, right? All I could do was say, whew, that's hard. And I said it out loud. Wow, this is hard. I can't tell because it's reverse monitor work. Mm -hmm. So if you enter from the right, on camera, it looks like you're coming from the left, right? If you're entering from the left, on camera, it's coming from the right. So Henson still, to this day, does that reverse monitor work. That is what was hard in my brain to figure out. You go left to go right, you go right to go left. You know, I never knew that. I never yeah. knew that that was Yeah, it's what you do. And certainly contemporary schools of thought, you have great phones now, iPhones, where you can switch that. Right. And, but traditional Henson work is still the same. Left to go right, right to go left. So did they yeah? have to like make the props in reverse as well if things are going reverse? You just how? bring them the other way. Okay, so no, I guess yeah, that yeah, makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like overthinking this. Or is everything what, well? Welcome so to my brain, it, dude. Or? So you are doing exactly what my brain did. Sure. That is why I was not good at it. I would overthink it instead of making instinct kick in, right? Left like, to go right, go right to go left. Way. Just go the opposite way, Aretta. It. It's not that hard. But what I certainly had is the ability in the camera to, ah, well, that didn't work. <laughs> and then exit, right? <laughs> Whoa, and sink down, right? So I was very good at that, at laughing at myself, at just kind of saying, oh boy, let me try it again. Because it was easy to work with, because I laughed at myself, because I knew I wasn't brilliant. I became the person that they knew would be kind of chill in the room. That's why it worked for me. What I did not have technically, I kind of made up for in charm and personality. And as a human, not as a puppeteer, right? The voice stuff was easy for me, right? The, the lip sync, the, able, the ability to speak with my hand at the same time that I was speaking with my mouth, easy for me. Lip sync, voices, the character, because I had theater training, 
knowing how to create a three-dimensional character, easy for me. Not easy was that technical stuff at all. But I tried to be kind and chill and have a good time. And that is what eventually you get remembered for and why they're still friends to this day. It's fantastic. So, yeah, and there I am, and having to call home and say to Jerry, to my awesome boss, I made it. I'm here for a month. And he said, do it. We'll cover your tour. That's great. He was amazing. So do it. So tell us about that experience a little bit. It was awful. It was hard. <laughs> it was terrifying. It was exciting. I still know those people. They're still my friends. And, um, and it turns out, and this is something I've come to terms with, it's not my first language. Stage is my first language. So I sat there and I participated and I had a great time. And Kevin Clash was our trainer and Bill Beretta came in. Uh, Kevin Clash was known uh, originally for Elmo. Mm -hmm. He does lots of other characters now. Bill Beretta, known my favorite Muppet, truth be told, is not Kermit. Don't tell Kermit. He thinks he's my favorite, but shh. Um, Peppy the Prawn is kind of my favorite, right? Okay, okay Peppy the Prawn, okay? Bill Beretta, the voice behind Peppy, came in. I'm not being happy. Kermit the Frog, you're, no, not, you're not my favorite. That's no, not great, okay? How dare you, Beretta? No. Wait, so this is Ron's life as a puppeteer. Let's talk, dude. <laughs> no, you I, should send in that video, I love, man. I love Kermit the Frog. <laughs> no, right? Kermit, Kermit is my spirit animal. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt that Kermit is my I spirit mean, like, animal. I grew up, like, one of the reasons you and I get along so because I grew up on the Muppets yeah. and I mean the Muppets were my first language because you go through cartoons growing up right and then you get introduced to Sesame Street because you want to learn letters you know and, and the idea of playing with other children you know of all races and things like that yeah. you know as, as Sesame Street does and then um, and then all of a sudden you get the Muppets and the Muppets it's like oh wow this is like it's a little dangerous, you know, yeah. like the Muppets are making adult jokes here, you know, and it, there's a lot of like subtext in it. And all of a sudden there's this pig that wants to hump this frog, you know, and it's like, there's these two old men that like mock everybody. And then there's this crazy crackhead that like gets shot out of a cannon with his chickens all the time, you know? So it's like, all of a sudden it's like with the, the Muppets to me are this language where I'm like, this is comedy. Like, and then my dad's like, oh, you like the Muppets? So we get, you know, we get introduced to, you know, uh, vaudeville and things like that. But that was my first love from the time I was young. Like, I love the Muppets. And it's like, to this day as an adult, I still love the Muppets. Absolutely. Which is why watching you with your puppetry was so amazing. The first time I really got to watch you, because I had seen you like teach a little bit. But yeah. then the first time you like really went into performance mode, it's like you're working <laughs> on a whole other level, you know? And it's like one thing that you see a lot of people teach stuff that they try to perform and they're not very good at. Um, but when you see a true professional, like somebody that really picks something up and blows your mind, like that's how I felt watching you the first time. You well, know? thank you. Puppetry oh. has given me the biggest gifts in the world, focus and stillness. It really has. And I think that's translated to anything I do. I sing with a band right now and I do a lot of theater. But I'm always a puppeteer because puppetry gives me focus and stillness and body confidence. And that is stuff I never would have gotten without puppetry. I never would have gotten those gifts. And when you mention the Muppets, I, you know, I just think, too, and it's what I learned, too, even in that training program. It's serious stuff. Yeah. It's serious stuff. They take the art seriously. They, uh, it, it's about three-dimensional characters and grounded characters. Yes, it's fun. But it really is very theatrical in terms of the stuff I learned as a theater maker in college. Well, what's its backstory, right? Come on, flesh this thing out only by truly respecting it as three dimensional and having a beginning, middle and end. Can you then improvise, right? And Jim Henson, you know, rest his soul, Jim Henson never really thought of himself as a children's performer or a children's entertainer. He was doing um, art films. 
he was doing adult work. I mean, think um, of like like Labyrinth, or you think of like uh, uh, what's the the Dark Crystal? Right, but like he was this, doing stuff on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the right? stuff they're doing. Yes. Though, it's like very avant garde. They're not just doing kids stuff. You and know? he won um, he won an Academy Award for his short film Timepiece, mm-hmm. right? So he was doing brilliant, amazing artistic stuff that happened to use puppetry, right? And then he could not say no to the opportunity when the Muppets and doing a lot of commercials too. He couldn't say no to the opportunity of the Muppets moving to Sesame Street, right? And doing that thing. And that's how we started to define his puppetry. But he was so much more than that. The stuff that truly inspired him and the stuff that truly moved him and the stuff that spoke to him as an artist is not the kid stuff. It's the adult stuff. One of the things he's most known for in the puppetry world is he did the Jim Henson Hour and he interviewed puppeteers that puppeteers respected. He sat down as a puppeteer and a puppetry fan and interviewed the puppeteers that we all admired from around the world. That is what we love him for, mm-hmm. is he was a true fan of puppetry, a scholar of puppetry, and he's instilled that in his children. All of his children love puppetry with a capital P, right? And that's a gift he's given them. And they now are supporting puppeteers all over the country. The Jim Henson Foundation still provides grants and funding and training and leadership for those who want to pursue puppetry as an art form and as a career. The Henson family is more than just the Muppets. They are the reason that we have contemporary puppetry in the United States. Interesting. So, so you get this, you get this opportunity you're terrible at it or not terrible, but it's terrible, a terrible experience, yes, right? It turned out I was kind of okay. Okay. Right. I, I figured I, I, where you are now. Right? I was, I, I was kind of okay at it, but it didn't come easily. And I'm not afraid of challenge, but it wasn't my first language. Sure. Right. Sure. So I watched people around me kind of take to it as ducks to water, as they say. And I knew I was still working hard to do it. And I did after that training, get called up to do quite a few little background things or right hand of things as one does. But remember back in the day too, the Muppets and Disney had not yet happened. Oh, so this is like pre, this is pre that, pre the house right? Of mouse. So it was pretty much waiting for that to happen. Okay. So those of us in this Muppet class and the next two or three, I guess, were kind of waiting to work. Right. And then those who ended up in the Muppet training, after the Disney acquisition, they immediately got the work. Well, in the interim for me, I was doing little bit jobs in the television, in the film kind of thing, live appearances as Cookie Monster, book signings, whatever. I was, yeah, seriously, I was doing those kind of things. Wait, 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 wait. you can't just, tell me about oh, yeah. Cookie Monster at a book signing and you yeah. have to do Cookie Monster Well, but I was too. right-handed though. I was okay. doing the right hand, right? So right. I wasn't, uh, you, you know, I wasn't the upper echelon. Explain oh, no, what no. that means, right So hand. it means that the, um, the primary puppeteer for these characters, a lot of the Muppet characters would have their right hand in the puppet's mouth. Sure. And um, this is, you know, like a podcast and I've got my hand in the air waving it around okay. like a fool. You but, can always say on a podcast, but trust every, me, every motion somebody makes, they can see it on yeah. the other end. As you can as you... see it. Absolutely. So my right <laughs> hand is in the air. Right. So the primary puppeteer has their right hand in the puppet's mouth and their left hand in, if it's a you know right handed puppeteer, has the dominant hand of the puppet, making the left hand a live puppet hand. Well, all of a sudden you've got a hand not moving, right? So you need a second puppeteer to hug. Absolutely, so then you need someone to come in and help. So the second puppeteer, the second hander puppeteer, will come in behind the other puppeteer, 
awkwardly embrace them from behind with a weird kind of sort of puppeteer hug and reach up and do the dead hand. So you get like right? real personal with the main Oh puppeteer. man, I've spent more time in someone's armpit than you would think would be a thing. But hey, welcome to my glamorous sounds, life. My life like my as weekend a weekend in Czechoslovakia, but please. Oh continue yes, on, yes, right? yes. Yeah. 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 So. Come to one of our puppetry festivals, you'd fit right in. You'd fit right in. So. Um, so I'm doing those appearances, but I'm still pursuing my work with Madcap Puppets, as well as still deciding that I want to be a teacher, right? That I'm loving to teach puppetry. And I'm also working with some theater companies in Cincinnati that maybe want to incorporate puppetry. So I started in Cincinnati then helping folks incorporate puppetry into theatrical productions, um, doing puppet work for production of Children of Eden. Um, I was really fortunate to be the puppet and mask director and the mask character of Gollum in the world premiere. We did a, the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings plays with Clear Stage Innovation Theaters, and we did them right before the movies came out, and we got the rights to do them. We had a Tolkien Enterprise person come and be our dramaturg. Like These were huge, big theatrical productions, and I'm thrown in as puppet lead. And we are doing these epic eight-person Balrog puppets and Shelob as for the spider as a four-person puppet and these gorgeous horses. And I don't really know what I'm doing, but apparently I do because I just dive in. So while I'm waiting for the Muppet work, I'm developing my own stuff. I mean, that's I mean that's the way you got to go. And right? it's the way you got to go, right? Like you, you're, no, no one ever delivers work to you. No. Like you got to go make your own. Do work. it. Create your own. And then somehow I'm fortunate enough to start teaching at Northern Kentucky University and I get to teach puppetry and mask and movement, kind of making up my own courses. And I am accidentally a teacher and I'm accidentally a puppeteer and I'm finally myself. And I had no idea as a theater major at sweet little Ashland University in North Central Ohio that that would happen because at the time, man, to be a successful theater person, you're going to Broadway, right? You're, you're going to be in films. I was neither of those things. That was never going to happen to me. And thank goodness I still found my way. So interesting how old of a way that is of thinking. Oh, in that yeah. We, even you and I, because I, I experienced a lot of that where it's like, uh, for the longest time, I thought of myself being as a failure because it's like, well, I've never performed on Broadway. Yep. I've never done these very, these benchmarks that like, these are the only way you can be successful. And then one day I woke up and I'm like, hey, like I own a house and I drive a pretty awesome car and I like, I have a really nice life and, and I, and I, and I don't have a job. Right. <laughs> like, but I somehow do, I got here, right? I do all this. So what's like, what's, yeah. Yeah. So it's and like, I had yeah. For years, and it was working, and I loved it, and I started my own little company called Imagine Nation, and I was touring libraries, and I was, you know, doing school shows as a solo performer. I'm cobbling that together. I'm teaching. I'm no longer full-time with Madcap because I... Um, the touring got to me at some point, and I switched gears to be at the university. What do you mean, what do you mean the touring got to? Uh, being in a van all the time, you oh, know? did you guys yeah. just... You did um, a lot of, like like you're a band going from place to place. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I loved it, but I kind of got tired of that. And at the point in time I met an awesome human being named Eric and we got married and I'm thinking, I think I want to settle down a little bit more. Um, so I got off the road and I'm cobbling experiences together as one does. Right. And, um, leading an after school arts program and trying to teach puppetry and I'm teaching and I'm performing whatever freelancing. And then all of a sudden, Someone that I met at a puppetry festival, I go back to that idea of the Puppeteers of America, right? That I joined that organization years and years 
you know, before this time when I first started with Madcap and someone I met at one of the national festivals of the Puppeteers of America who was serving as education director at the Center for Puppetry Arts, I heard he was transitioning out of his position and it came up that maybe I'd be interested in it. Me? I'm neither necessarily an educator nor am I a puppeteer. I'm still thinking that in my brain, even though those are the experiences I've been having. And I just sort of said, I'll never get it. Why don't I apply for it? And here I am in Cincinnati, incredibly content, working all the time in theater, great life, great family, great friends. And I accidentally apply for a job in Atlanta, right at the Center for Puppetry Arts. The return address on one of the magazines I used to get, the journals, the puppetry journals I used to get. And I thought, what the heck, I'll throw my hat in the ring, but there's no possible way there's no possible way the National Puppetry Center is going to want me. And I find myself invited to interview, and I find myself there and feeling at home. So, and and end up there. I end up there, and I, every day, when I pull up, see, here I go. Uh -oh. I am not kidding you. Every day when I pull up, or walk, because I live close, um, if I don't have a lot of stuff in my car, um, every day when <laughs> well, I pull up, so yeah, I do, I usually do, car. I see the numbers on that building, 1404 Spring Street, and I cannot believe I get to be there. I cannot believe I get to be there because it's only by taking chances and saying yes and not even knowing what I'm good at or not good at and not even knowing, not even being smart enough or foolish enough to say no, right? I am pulling up every day into the place that for me defines American puppetry. And I get to walk in that building and I get to say to our founder, Vince Anthony, hi, thank you. You know, and it is truly an incredible honor that I get to do it. And now I'm just trying to give back right through the Puppeteers of America and my service on the board, try to give back and my membership in the Union Internacional de la Marinette, the UNAMI USA, I try to give back. And um, still working on a lot of my own stuff and a piece that I'm working on right now. We've been working on it five years, my puppetry partner and I. Um, you know, we're applying for fringe festivals and we've gotten some great opportunities to do residency programs and um, we're starting to perform that more nationally and I'm very excited about that. So I'm at this place where I get to do my own adult puppet theater work, which is great. And then by day I get to teach kids and I get to hang out with people like you when our passions overlap at thespian festivals and we teach our things. And I can't believe this is my life as a puppeteer. All right, well, let's wrap this up right there. Like, thank you so much, by the way, for allowing us to step into your life for about an hour. Uh, thank you. <laughs> what more can I say, you know? You are more than welcome. It's a delight. I, I'm always excited when people actually care about this thing called puppetry and people are curious about it. Because again, this is kind of a thing that in other parts of the world, it's a big deal. And in America, we are still trying to figure out what puppetry is and can be. And I am delighted that you care, Ron. Thank well, you. Well, thank you so much, Aretta Baumgart. Oh, I, I messed up the last name again. Aretta Baum. No, I'm just going to let you do it for a while. Baum, Baum Gardner. Oh, you got all the syllables that time. There that was go. great. There I love it. I'll take it, man. Once I'll again, take guys. it. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the show. Uh, My Life as a Puppeteer. My Life As is recorded at Inland Blue Studios and is a member of the Nerd Life Crisis Network. Contact the show at nerdlifecrisis at gmail.com. Care of My Life As. Subscribe and download and listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcast from. 
Music for My Life As is composed by Rodrigo Vicente and brought to you by HookSounds.com. This episode of the Nerd Life Crisis Podcast is brought to you by IB Comics. IB Comics, the home of great creator-driven stories for people of all ages, including Legba's Juke Joint. The first book of a nine-book series is available now and tells the story of American music from the blues to the present. The series examines the values of American society and for what we as people are willing to trade our soul. The book has been called Smart and Clever by Mark Wade of The Flash and Superman and Raw, Honest, and Profoundly Human by Stephen Frank, the creator of Silver and the animator on The Iron Giant. The book is available now at www.ibcomics.com. IB Comics, the home of great stories.